Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast, where at our core, we are about leading people into an authentic, growing, and thriving relationship with Jesus. Today, we conclude our series, Happily Even After, with a message called, Never Give Up. Let's listen in. So Jen and I got engaged in October of 2008 in Brainerd, Minnesota, at a coffee shop called Coco Moon. It was her, it's Jen's favorite coffee shop. And I knew that we were going to be surrounded by friends and family, so I wanted to propose up in Brainerd with her family. And so we proposed, and as you can expect, we were really, really excited once we got engaged. I mean, I was looking up numbers in my phone of people that I hadn't talked to in years. And if you were in my phone, you found out that day in October that I was getting married. We were so excited. And as we drove back from our trip up north, it was like floating on air as we walked back into the routine of our daily lives. I went back to a church that I was youth pastoring at, and I was greeted at our staff meeting with high fives and a bunch of people saying, it's about time. We were wondering when she was going to get sick of you and just leave. Like, they was about, like, you got lucky, and you timed it perfectly. Jen went back to work at Victoria's Secret, and if you're wondering, yes, I was that youth pastor whose fiance worked at Victoria's Secret. It was awesome. Um, but I picked Jen up after work one day, and, and we were going to head out to dinner uh, like we did often uh, when we had money and time. And, uh, and, and, and we were going out to dinner, and while we were out to dinner, Jen brought up a conversation that she had had at work that day. And, and as she was showing off her ring to her coworkers, and people were asking how it happened, how the engagement happened, uh, they were telling her how excited they were for her. And one of her coworkers asked her this question. One of her coworkers asked, so do you think that this is going to be a good first marriage? And Jen, looking a little perplexed and confused, asked, well, what do you mean first marriage? This is, this is going to be the only one for me. And, and her coworker actually looked more confused and more perplexed at Jen's answer than Jen had at her initial question. And the coworker responded, you mean you think this is going to be your only marriage? And Jen told her, this is the right answer, yeah, this is kind of a one-time thing for us. I'm going to be married to Steve, and he's going to be married to me until one of us dies. Why? How many times are you planning on getting married? And her coworker said, I don't know, maybe two or three Because the first one really doesn't count, you know. The first one is really when you're working most of the kinks out, right? And as Jen and I sat at dinner, a newly engaged couple, we kind of sat looking confused and bewildered with these kind of weird expressions on our faces. And I can't, I, we couldn't even imagine over, going over that conversation. We couldn't even imagine walking into our marriage, ultimately planning on failing. I mean, I really don't think anyone stands at the altar facing the love of their life in front of family and friends, and then ultimately in the back of their mind planning on round two when this marriage fails. I mean, hopefully that's not part of anyone's five-year plan. You know, get married, uh, get a house, have a couple of kids, then ultimately have it collapse on you miserably, uh, leaving wounded, dead bodies around. And I know that we've lived life so often hearing about this percentage that, that 50% of marriages, both in the church and outside of the church, end in divorce. And as we get later into the message, I, but I just want to let you know that those statistics are wrong and incredibly over-exaggerated. The truth is, though, there is still a divorce rate in the church and outside of the church. And so maybe the point of today's message and today's talk is really that we have to quit doing marriage the way that we want to do it and 
and begin to live and embrace marriage the way that God has intended for it to be embraced and lived out. Because again, doing things God way, God's way will always bring about better results in your life than doing things your way. The thing is, I love Jesus in, in, I mean, I love Jesus, but I love Jesus in Scripture as he paints a pretty incredible picture when it comes to the topic of marriage. And the reality is, and I put this in, in, in my notes, and I just want to share this um, for maybe somebody who's here, maybe somebody who's going to listen on the podcast. But, um, but before we look into Matthew chapter 19 and look at what Jesus says about divorce and marriage, um, for those um, who maybe have been here, uh, have been here before, aren't here now, maybe listening on the podcast, who have walked through a divorce in their life, um, I want to share just a, a, quick, a quick story again. When I was attending North Central University, um, downtown Minneapolis, in the early 2000s, I graduated from high school in 2002. So in the early 2000s, I was attending Bible college. And during that time of my life, I was living in the midst of one of the darkest times of depression my life has ever known. And I wouldn't exactly say that I was dealing with depression because dealing with depression would indicate that I was actually doing something about getting out of depression. But I was in the midst of it. But depression, here's the deal, it was dealing with me in a big way. And this was before, really, there was this bright light shining on the topic of mental illness. It was, it was a little more, uh, still a little bit more taboo. And as I grew up in the church, um, there was just not an understanding of what happens in a body, what happens in a life during the process of depression, excuse me, anxiety, mental illness. And so what we did as the church is we so conveniently lumped all these things into just a spiritual problem and a spiritual issue. And so for most of my life, living uh, with depression, I, I was under the assumption and under the understanding that I was living with an immense spiritual problem. And as I attended Bible college, I, as I attended North Central University, um, what, I, what I was surrounded by were young men and women, young followers of Jesus, who I concluded and I assumed had life very much more together than I did. I always felt like I was a little bit of an outsider. I was a little bit on the fringe because I was hauling along the baggage that came with depression. I, I felt so incredibly inferior. I felt, I felt like such an outsider. And as I have talked over my 11 years of being in ministry, as I have talked to so many couples, so many people who have walked through divorce maybe one, two, or three times in their life, they feel the same way when they sit in church that I did at North Central. They feel inferior. They feel, they feel on the fringe. And my prayer today, please, Jesus, could this encourage someone today, is that here at Motion City Church, I want to lay this out, is that we don't look at people's brokenness and their pasts as our ability to look at and treat people as second-class citizens. I love what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. It says this. He says, Paul says, And I am convinced that nothing ever, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so at Motion City Church, what we believe is that your past and your issues do not separate you from the love of God that is revealed through the person of Jesus. Because the truth is, we all have our stuff, don't we? 
We all have our stuff. Now, now I've dealt, uh, I, I, dealt, I ran from God for most of my life as I was struggling in the midst of, of depression through my teenage years and early 20s. I, I ran from God. I had sex before marriage. I dealt with a strong addiction to pornography. I drank in excess, and I'm the pastor. And we all have this common ground between all of us that we walk into life and we walk through life with some stuff. And so there's no sense of shame, there's no sense of guilt, there's no sense of embarrassment, my prayer, as we talk about what Jesus says about marriage and divorce. And I understand that people fought for marriages and they still ended in divorce. I know that people were spiritually at different places. And so for the context of the remainder of our time together, for the time of our con- the context, what I want to do is I want to look at from this moment at 11.17 a.m. on Sunday, June 11th, 2017, from this moment forward. Okay? All right? So let's look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus says this. He says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is Jesus' definition of marriage. I know that there has been so much conversation over the past decade about what is the definition, what defines a marriage, and this is Jesus's. So this is the one that I'm going to look at. And Jesus says this is one man and one woman united together, both spiritually and physically, as one. And Jesus goes on to say this, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so, when you got married, married couples, when you got married, Jesus says that you go from being a two-person party to a one-person party. You go from being two to one, and then he says, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, don't undone what God has made one. I know that is horrible grammar, and I know, Lisa, you just shot your head seeing you read a teacher. She just shot her. I know it's horrible grammar, and it's actually making me sweat behind the knees that I'm using it, but it rhymes, and so we're going to go with it. And so don't undone what God has made one. And so the, and, and here's the thing. The question that I always get, and when we talk about marriage, the question that I get, whether in conversation or an email or in text message, is this. Does, the, does that mean that divorce is never permissible? So there's no circumstance that, I could, that, there, that divorce would ever be allowed. Well, actually, the Bible talks, he get, the, the Bible gives two instances where divorce is permitted. One is in the case of adultery, and two is the case of abandonment. And so if your husband or wife cheats on you, has an extramarital affair, or just a, straight up abandons, walks out, and leaves you, then Scripture says then you are permitted to seek a divorce, but it doesn't mean that you have to. It doesn't mean that you have to. When I was a youth pastor in Faribault, in Faribault, there was an instance where there was a couple in the church, and they had been married for 10 years, and then all of a sudden their marriage came to a crossroads. The husband had been having, for months, an online emotional affair with a woman that, he had been, that they had been making plans together, and he was making plans to abandon his wife and his family and run away with this other woman. And so all of a sudden, th- kind of th- things came to a head, and he confessed, but there was no repentance, and he was still planning on going through it. And through a ton of conversation and convincing and yelling on my part, 
he agreed to go to three sessions of marriage counseling. And over the year and years, we watched this couple fight and scrape their marriage back together. And I'm so happy today to know that they are, one, still married, and that their marriage, intimacy, and friendship is continuing to thrive. And so what I know about God is that it doesn't matter how broken things are, healing and restoration is still possible because that's the kind of God he is. But ultimately, when it comes to those two issues, it's your choice. And I'd also like to just include and interject for those who are here, maybe for those who are listening, that if you are being abused and you are fearful for your physical safety or the safety of your children, I would say immediately, immediately, without question or reservation, remove yourself from the situation. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to text me or Jen. Just get out. Get out of that situation, and we will do whatever we can to get you the help that you need. Okay? And so with all that being said, Jesus tells us that God's intentions for our marriage is that couples would never separate. That marriage is a lifelong thing. And I know that's a hard teaching, especially here in America, because I think as human beings and as Americans specifically, we are so well conditioned to live life with such a high dissatisfaction level. We're dissatisfied with our internet, so we'll get faster. We're dissatisfied with our phone, so we'll get a new one. We're dissatisfied with our marriage. Hey, it doesn't matter. It's just a piece of paper. It's not important anyway, so we can just tear it up and start over. We are conditioned to live with a high dissatisfaction level. But in, in the time that we have remaining, what I want to do is I want to give you four very simple uh, ways that you can apply these things to your life and stay happily married for life. Not simply stay married and tolerate each other until the kids go to college and then split up. Not to stay married uh, just because you did so that you, even though you're miserable, regardless of all that, just so that you say you did. These are four ways that you can be and remain happily married for life. And if you're taking notes, the first way is this. Build a solid foundation. Build a solid foundation. If you are going to build a house, the success or failure of that house begins and ends on the foundation that it's built on. Jesus gives us an amazing, an amazing analogy in Matthew chapter 17 when it comes to the foundation that we build our lives on and specifically uh, our marriages on. And he says this uh, in Matthew chapter 7 starting in verse 24. He says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. I love that as Jesus is telling this story, he's not saying that, is, if, that there may be a possibility in your life that you may face storms. He walks into this analogy, he walks into this parable knowing that in the midst of our lives, we will go through storms. We will go through seasons in our marriage where we do not like each other. There are going to be seasons in our marriage that regardless the size or the storm, we will face them anyway. All sizes and all kinds of storms. But what will get you through those storms and, and what has gotten other couples 
through those storms is the foundation that your marriage has been built on. A marriage that has been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ is a marriage that will be able to withstand the storms of life because when Jesus is your foundation, you can be confident and know without a shadow of doubt that the foundation is strong. In her book, The Good News About Marriage, author Shanti Feldham, I wish I would have brought it with me, tells us that those couples who have active participation in what I would call Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches— when you are involved in those things, your divorce, the divorce rate actually drops by about 35%. And this is simply just showing up on Sundays together. Now you add uh, being a part of, of midweek, so you act, uh, and you add being a part of a community group, and you add uh, going to like something like marriage night at the ballpark, which you should all go to if you are a married couple. It's going to be a great night. But man, you add all of those things, and what you're doing is you're continuing to compact onto the foundation of your marriage the type of brick and mortar and concrete that's, that it's going to take for your marriage and for your life to go through the, the difficult seasons that life just sometimes throws at you. This statistic I actually thought was pretty amazing. Another study that was done by the National Association for Marriage Enhancement found that couples, now check, this is amazing, couples who pray together and read their Bible together on a daily basis have a less than 1% chance of getting divorced. I mean, think about that. The national average, although we've heard it's around 50, honestly, as they've re-looked over those statistics, as they, as they have uh, redefined those studies, actually, the, 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 the divorce rate in America has never been near 50%. The closest it's been to 50% was right around uh, the time of World War II, uh, and we can get into that historical conversation later, because I love that time period, and I love history, so we can talk about that later. But the divorce rate has actually never been near 50% since World War II. Actually, the, the national average is right around uh, 35 to 36% to 37%. Somewhere in there, it kind of fluctuates depending on the year. But just by going to church together on Sunday, your percentage of divorce drops by 35%. And less than 1% of couples, uh, it goes to less than 1% of those couples who pray and read their Bible together uh, daily. It's amazing how, how much the foundation of your marriage matters. It's amazing. And, 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 and as, again, I was doing all types of statistical study. They, 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 they did a study of about I think it was like 5,000 uh, married Christian couples and found out this amazing statistic that only 8% of married Christian couples pray together. Only 8% of those surveys, your foundation in marriage matters. And so step number one is this, start and have a good foundation. Number two is this, eliminate the D word. Eliminate the D word. It's amazing the kind of devastating impact that launching a seven-letter word into an argument or disagreement in your marriage can have. And I can't tell you that over the, the last eight years of me and Jen's marriages, I can't tell you exactly what all of our fights were about. I can tell you what a few of them have been about because I'm secretly still trying to win them. Uh, but I can tell you what a few of them are. But I can't remember what most of them have been about. M my brain shoots back to where they were. My, my brain shoots to locations, which is why we don't go to re certain restaurants anymore or certain stores anymore because we are going to fight. 
And usually it involves like Bed Bath & Beyond or towels or something. So I just stay away from it. If there's towels in my house, hey, my wife made our marriage stronger by not bringing me to that stuff. So, but, but I can remember where our fights are, not maybe specifically what they were about. But so often, once the shimmer and shine of the newlywed phase drops off in our marriages, there can come a point, honestly, guys, where you can begin to feel stuck. I know that I have felt stuck many times over the last eight years, and I know that Jen has as well. Usually she's not sitting right there, but I'm going to say it with confidence anyway. No, I know that there have been seasons where both of us in different times have felt very stuck in our marriage. We seem to just kind of live life running the wheel of disagreements and differing opinions and fights. And, 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 and what a lot of people do when they're in the habit of kind of just running that race, running that wheel, is, is they basically come to the conclusion that if this is, what, if this is how life is going to be, then we should probably just get divorced. And all of a sudden, what you've done is you've launched a seven-letter grenade into your marriage that ultimately will have devastating effects. And one of the things that I am so grateful for in my marriage to Jen is that no matter how difficult things have been or are at times, that we have never uttered the D word in conversation. We don't joke about it. We don't, we don't even allude to it. I've never thought about divorce from Jen. I can't speak for Jen, but I haven't. No, she's shaking her head. No, she hasn't thought of it either. That's good. We'll keep going with that. Um, but, but see, it's not, and, and the reality is for us, it's not even an option. The reality is we move that word so far away from any sort of table that we have in our house that, we, that it doesn't even get close to being put on the table. We remove it from all table and all hutchery because we just want it to stay as far away from any sort of table as we can. The D word is actually a swear word in our house. And, and and so when, and, but ultimately what happens when you eliminate the D word from your marriage conversations, you're ultimately left in life with two choices. You're either going to live life happily married or unhappily married. That's it. Those are the two options when the D word is off the table. And it's amazing how motivated we can become to work and better our marriage when our life is, life is lived with those two options. Because look at what God says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. This is what God says. He says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And so I want to give everyone a phrase this morning. So don't ever say I never gave you anything. I want to give you a phrase this morning that I want you to learn, I want you to memorize, and I want you to put in practice in your life and your marriage, and that is this. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Our marriage will be as good as we decide it to be. Our marriage will be as good as we decide it to be. Your marriage will only be as good as you decide for it to be. You make the decision, and you can decide to invest in your marriage or not. You can decide to read a book on marriage. You can decide to see a counselor. You can decide to begin to pray for your spouse or to forgive your spouse. You can decide to pray together and read the Bible on a day-to-day -day basis. You can decide to seek the guidance and experience of seasoned married couples or not. The decision is ultimately yours. Only you can decide that. And, and I've had so many conversations with people where it's like, but we're just, we're just not in love anymore. See, we, we, we've, just, we've, we've fallen out of love. So here's the deal. Getting divorced because you've fallen out of love is like getting rid of your car because it ran out of gas. Thank you, Dad. Uh, 
See, the truth is, just like your car, you, you need to fill your marriage. You need to fill the love up again. You didn't fall out of love any more than you fell into it. You just spent more time when it was easier filling up that relationship. So begin to fill it up again. Oftentimes, when the Bible, I love this, when the Bible refers to or speaks about love, it's not speaking about it when it comes to the idea of love being a noun. What it's speaking about is love being a verb, an action word. And I have conversations, but I just don't love them anymore. And my response is always this. Well, that's probably why you should start loving them. Well, I just don't love her anymore. Okay, that's fine, but you should probably start loving her then. And they look at me so confused, and I love it because I love confusing people. But the reality is love, when it comes to a scriptural marriage sense, is not a stationary word. It's an active word. It's an action word. It's a word of doing. Forget your feelings. And start doing. Don't determine your faithfulness to your marriage based off of your feelings or based off of your guts because your guts have crap for brains. Quit determining your faithfulness based off your feelings and overcome your feelings by doing what is right. The third thing is this in your marriage is you need to set up guardrails. Pastor Andy Stanley at North Point Church in, in, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, he did an entire series called Guardrails, and it's a phenomenal series. I would encourage you to look it up, listen to it. It was a super huge encouragement for me. Uh, but, but basically the, the premise of the series was this, is that just as necessary as guardrails are on the road or freeway, we need guardrails in our life. Now, what are guardrails? Guardrails are usually not things that border the edge of a cliff, but as you, if you look at guardrails, and maybe you'll look at them for the first time, what you'll notice is that guardrails are actually a few feet in from wherever the danger lies. And guardrails are there to warn you that you are getting too close for comfort or safety, and as you begin to set up guardrails in your life, you have to make an intentional choice to then blast through the guardrails that you set up. Now let's apply this to marriage. We're going to put this up on the screen. What guardrails do you need to set up so that your marriage doesn't crash or burn? What guardrails in your marriage do you need to set up so, and in your life so that your marriage doesn't crash and burn? See, what, I love guardrails because they increase the effort that it would take for you to cross. A relational boundary. King Solomon said in the book of Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he says this. He says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. We need in our lives as individuals, we need to have the discipline and the understanding that we have to set up some fences and guardrails so that our marriages can thrive and flourish. And these aren't, these aren't guardrails and fences for the big things. You know, these are, the, these, are, these are guardrails and fences for those little things, those small little things that over time can create huge problems. Solomon says little foxes. These little just rascally foxes that just mess up your lawn. Those, 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 uh, those little animals, I don't know, I don't even know what they're called, that like burrow in your lawn and create like this like mounded issue. And they're just disastrous. These little things, these little threats that are allowed to happen here and allowed to happen 
there that don't seem like a huge thing in the moment, but after time can become the cause of enormous problems in your marriage. You need to set up guardrails in your life for your marriage. Back to when I was in Faribault, and, and a lot of my stories are from that time because hopefully I've learned over time. It's like, man, he doesn't tell recent stories. Hopefully I'm a learner as I'm a liver, and, I, and, and, and I've learned some things. So, some, so when I was, when, again, when I was pastoring in Faribault, I had worked really hard over my time in, in Faribault at that, at that church to, I had worked really hard at knowing people and being a pastor that people knew cared about them. Not simply on a church level, but on a personal level. And I know that sounds kind of like a humble brag, and it was, it's not intended to be. But there was a lot of history with the previous pastors in the previous church that existed. And so the idea to simply be a pastor that loved people and cared was a no-brainer for me. And so if people wanted to have breakfast, lunch, or coffee, I wanted to be available. And honestly, I was super naive and thought, hey, man, I can do this. And, and because I'm genuine and because I am, I'm genuine of heart, there's n nothing bad could ever happen because of my decision to be available to people. And to be honest, nothing bad ever did happen. But there was one time where I made a decision to have lunch with a young lady from the church even though the other person that I was bringing along with me as accountability had canceled as a guardrail, canceled at the last minute. And I, and I chose to go to this lunch anyway because it sounded important and it, and it sounded urgent. And we had a great lunch. It was a great restaurant in, in Faribault, uh, Boston. They had a lot of good food, good fish tacos, a good burger, amazing pizza. It was a good lunch. It was a good conversation. I can honestly say with, with a clear conscience uh, that that positive, Christ-centered ministry happened during that lunch. It, it, was, it was a great lunch, great food, great conversation. But when I got back to the office, I was immediately brought back into our campus pastor's office and when was informed that somebody who used to attend the church saw me in passing having lunch with this young lady and immediately called the church office to fill them in that their youth pastor was having an affair. And I immediately, in that moment, became defensive. And I began to blame that person. Well, there, and I began to get defensive and defend, and I began to argue my point. And, and my pastor at the time said something to me that has stuck with me now and will stick with me forever. And he told me this it doesn't matter what you did, what matters more is what people assume you did. It doesn't matter what you did. Because again, we had a great lunch. And I believe that Christ-honoring ministry happened during that lunch. But that doesn't matter. What matters is what people assume I did or was doing. And so what I did based on that conversation and based on my pride taking a hit, based on humility of being stronger than my pride, what I did was I set up another guardrail in my life that if it's not my wife or my mom— I will never go to a meeting or have a meal or anything alone with a member of the opposite sex. I'll cancel it two seconds before if need be. But those are just guardrails that I've put up in my life. And so if I can ask you again another question this morning. What do you think is the greatest threat to your marriage? What do you think is the greatest threat to your marriage? Proverbs chapter 27 verse 12, Solomon, uh, uh, Solomon says this, A wise man sees sin and hides himself. But the fool goes on and suffers for it. And as I think about that verse, 
And I think about the relationships in our church. My prayer and my hope is that you individually will pray this verse over your spouse and over your marriage and over your life daily. That God would begin to show you the danger before the danger shows itself. That God would allow you to see the little things that can become big things later. That God would allow you the eyes to see the little foxes that are messing up the vineyard of love that God is establishing in your marriage. That God would allow you to see danger before the danger presents itself. And number four is this. Become an expert forgiver. I know I said it. I used the F word. I know that some of you actually probably would actually prefer that I use the actual F word because you could forgive that quicker than sometimes you are in the habit of forgiving your spouse. Quicker I am in the habit of forgiving my spouse. Because there are times in my life and in my marriage that I am so slow to forgive an offense from Jen. I am so slow to forgive her for times when she has unintentionally hurt me. I'm so, Jen and I, man, we have to forgive each other probably easily somewhere between one and a thousand times a day. So the reality, when we got married, we filled out these little questionnaires, and, um, and it was like, what's your greatest strength? What's your greatest weakness? Both of me and Jen's weaknesses is that we were both stubborn. That's what we both wrote. Not, and so we're stubborn. We're firstborns. Uh, when we take personality tests, our personality type, we are drivers, and we are entrepreneurs. And so oftentimes, when we're dealing with the other person, sometimes we can fall into the habit of checking that person's feelings at the door because we need to be right. And so many times, I have found myself holding onto bitterness, resentment, and anger towards Jen because she has offended me or hurt me whether knowingly or unknowingly. And what I do is I hold on to this anger and I hold on to this unforgiveness, expecting her to be the one to make the first move in asking me for forgiveness. But see, forgiveness doesn't start when the person who hurts you asks for forgiveness. Forgiveness starts when you allow the grace and mercy of Jesus to rule in your heart more than the offense or the anger, and you begin to take those initial first steps at forgiving your spouse before they ever ask you to. Because unforgiveness is like a cancer that will eat away at your heart. I know that Jen's had to do this with me time and time again. We're, we're not great at asking each other for forgiveness. We're just not. And so if there was ever a message that I, was pre I would be preaching to me today, it's this one. I love and hate, I love and hate what it says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. It says this. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And I keep thinking, yeah, but she did this. And she acts this way. And she speaks this way. And time and time again, the Holy Spirit says, okay, yeah, but remember who you were. And remember who you are at your worst. And Jesus forgave you. 
You see, in this place this morning, if you've been forgiven, the response of our life and the response of our heart should be to be one who forgives as well. And, and it's, it's, the e- it's, it's the easy things, it's the easy thing to do and the hardest thing to do because it's so difficult to, to forgive the easy and the worst things at the same time. It's just this crazy, it's just, it's just crazy. I love what, uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, he says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. tells us that forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. And I think my favorite quote when it comes to forgiveness is, it's an anonymous quote, and it says this, forgiveness is me giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. Um, Life is too short to live life with unforgiveness. Life's too short. And so as we conclude our series today, I want to do something different, a little different than what we've, what we've done before. And if you're married today or you're engaged or if you're here with your spouse, what I want you to do is I want you to take a few moments as we conclude today. I want you to take a, f- a few moments and I want you to take some time praying for the other person. I want you to take some time praying with that person. And what usually precedes praying for a person is, is asking the question, What is it that I can pray for you for? And begin to pray for this person who at one time you stood standing face to face saying through the highs and the lows and the good times and the bad times, I will stick with you. So ask, what can I pray? If you're single here this morning, what I want to encourage you to do is take just a few moments by yourself. And what I want you to do is I want you to begin to ask God to give you a new heart and a new perspective when it comes to relationships. Because I remember being single and being so bitter that I was single, forgetting that my singleness was an opportunity for God to begin to work something so significantly in my life to help prepare me to be a husband and to be a father. And so what I want to ask you to do is take a few moments and that you would pray that throughout whatever process or down whatever road God would bring you down, that you would honor him in and through your singleness and in and through your relationships if that is the direction that God would go. So couples, pray for each other. Singles, invite God into the presence and invite his power into your singleness. Okay? Cool? A little scary? This is going to be good. I really believe that this is going to be really, really good. I believe it. And so I'm just going to pray first, and we're going to just put a, a little bit of music on in the background and spend some time in prayer. And then when you're done, man, feel free to go. Have a wonderful wonderful rest of your Sunday. I want to invite you back next week as we kick off our summer series, The King's Speech, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to be a great summer. Uh, I believe it, but uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for marriage. I thank you for being the author of our marriages. God, I thank you for being the orchestrator and the, and the, and the representation of love in our lives. And so God, in this time, in this moment, as we, as married couples, pray for one another and pray with one another. God, maybe this is one of the first times we've ever done this, and God, we're just scared. 
God, would you just begin to remove that fear, and would you begin to replace it with, with joy and hope and expectancy and love towards our spouse? And God, if we're single, would you just begin to empower us not to, to be sideline spectators because we're not in a relationship, but God, would you give those who are single, God, the strength to stand on the foundation of who you are in their lives. So God, we love you. Thanks for loving us so well. You love us so well. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So married couples, enjoy your time together. Singles, uh, man, just begin to invite God's presence into your space right now and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We hope that you have a great week. We would love to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Falwell School in South Minneapolis. Join us next Sunday as we start a summer series called The King's Speech, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. To find out more information about Motion City Church, please go to www.motioncitychurch.com or you can follow us at Motion City MN on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter. 